tuned into How to OT, making research more accessible and more consumable for the occupational therapy practitioner. Here's your host, Matt Brandenburg. On today's episode of How to OT, I am joined by Hannah Brooks, a fellow member of the 2020 OTD cohort. Thanks for being on the show, Hannah. Thanks for inviting me to be on the show. Hannah, if I were to describe you as an occupational therapy student and future practitioner in two words, I would say passionate and bold. Oh, thank you. I appreciate those words. You're very welcome. You're always willing to speak up and share in class. And when you do, people listening can tell that you truly care about occupational therapy and also about pediatrics, which is your main interest. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. The baby humans are my species. Today, we're going to talk about your main research project, Development of the Functional Cognition Behavioral Observation Tool, FCBOT or FCBOT for short, for elementary school children. Yes, that's it. So you actually developed an assessment to measure functional cognition in children and youth. Was there something or someone that inspired you to take on this project? Yeah, so... um... Originally, like you said, I'm interested in pediatrics, so I knew I wanted to do a project involving pediatrics. And my original goal was to develop a training or a curriculum to promote executive function development in children inside the school systems. And as I started working on this project, um, my mentor, Dr. Lauren Milton, and Um, A person that sits on my doctoral committee, Dr. Carolyn Baum, talked to me about a recent prioritization of functional cognition. So they kind of approached me and said that there's been a change in terminology whenever we talk about cognition and we're shifting our focus towards functional cognition. And this come after a recent passage of an act called the Impact Act. And this act basically prioritized the assessment and treatment of functional cognition in the older adult population. Because what we were seeing was that if we measured functional cognition, it was really a strong indicator for if a person was ready to return to their life independently and safely after being discharged from the hospital. So that got me started questioning if functional cognition is so important in the older adult population that politicians are willing to come together and to pass an act that would prioritize it then why are we not talking about it in our young adult population or our children and youth? It's not like someone turns 65 and gets handed a card of functional cognition, and now we should start um, focusing on that. Um, So really, the phrase functional cognition made so much more sense to me than executive function, because as OTs, we should be viewing everything through a functional lens. So that's what inspired me to shift towards functional cognition and kind of leave not executive function behind because what we'll learn is that it is a part of functional cognition, but to just go one step further and look at cognition functionally. Um, And when I did that, surprise, surprise, there's literally no evidence on functional cognition in children and youth. So we knew we had to start from the beginning. And that's what kind of I'll talk about that process throughout today. 
I love how the roots of this project were in the Impact Act and you seeing something that was being put into practice among older populations, but not being done for children and youth. So this project is really functioning to fill that gap and to provide that intervention. Absolutely. And that's, I think, what's so cool about it is being able to see it done in an older adult population and see why it's so important. So that right there provides justification for the research that I'm doing, because if it's important for older adults, then it's also important for children and youth. And I just wanted to extend that and fill that literature gap and obviously make cognition kind of comprehensive across the lifespan. I'm realizing a lot of our listeners are probably picking up on your Southern accent. You did your undergrad at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Is that correct? I sure did. Go Heels. (laughs) UNC is typically a perennial tournament basketball team. So were you kind of happy about March Madness being canceled since they didn't make the tournament? Um, I mean, I love watching basketball and I love watching basketball even more whenever my heels are involved in the process. Um, I was sad to see it canceled, but I was happy that we didn't have to go down as like a year where we didn't make it into the tournament. But I would like to add that whenever I was a senior at UNC, the basketball team won the NCAA Men's Championship basketball game. Um, So that will forever go down in history as one of my favorite days. (laughs) What a way to go out during your senior year. I bet that was so fun. It was. We got to celebrate all night and then I went to an 8 a.m. the next morning and took a test. (laughs) I hope you passed. I did. (laughs) So not everyone may know just how much research and work goes into a doctoral project. You may have touched on some of this already, but can you share some of the important findings you uncovered in your literature review and background research about these topics? Sure. So like I said, um, we were really starting at zero with a lot of this. Um, So what we decided to do was conduct a scoping review of the literature on functional cognition. And what that allowed us to kind of see is we looked for any article that addressed functional cognition across any age span. And we just wanted to see what exists out there. And What we ended up finding was that only 26 articles existed on functional cognition, and none of those articles were about children and youth. And further, a lot of those articles were just kind of a call to practice. So it's like we don't really understand what this is yet. Um, We don't have a lot of research on it, but you should take notice of it, and you should be screening, assessing, and treating it. So that scoping review obviously showed us a huge gap in the literature. And from there, we kind of wanted to know what school-based occupational therapists knew about functional cognition. Um, And that's basically, I wanted school-based occupational therapists because school-based practice fascinates me. And that's what I wanted my project to be about. Um, As you'll learn throughout while I talk, I have this huge interest in population-based intervention and population-based treatment, and I think school-based practice is an excellent way for us to reach every single one of our students, um, because every single child is required by law to go to school in some form or another. 
So that prompted us to create a survey that we sent out via Facebook. Um, Bless Facebook, because I've got a lot of my research from Facebook. And that survey was just basically put out there to try to figure out what school-based therapists knew about functional cognition to this point. And luckily, we received over 200 responses for that survey um, just by crowdsourcing on Facebook. And we learned a lot of amazing data from that survey. And there were really two questions that made it very clear to me what I needed to press forward and how to develop the tool that I ended up developing. And those questions were, what screeners or assessments do you use to evaluate any aspect of functional cognition? And what that question showed us is that really two things were happening. School-based therapists were largely depending on observations to assess for cognition. And while we know observations are wonderful and great, and that's how we receive a lot of rich data, unfortunately, it's not quantifiable. It's not consistent from person to person. And it's really hard to prove somebody based on observations that something is going wrong. And I'm talking about proving to insurance companies or to people like that, um, why you need to be paid for your services. The second thing that we learned from that question is that school-based therapists were using assessment tools like the goal and the sensory processing measure and the sensory profile to gather information on cognition and those tools were not originally developed or validated to measure cognition. So they were doing these assessments and observing these cognitive behaviors, but it was never designed to do that. And then the second question that really informed how I designed my tool and kind of showed me that there was a need for this tool is the question of, do you feel like there are students not on your caseload who could benefit from screening, assessment, and or intervention in functional cognition? And actually, we had 82% of respondents respond yes to that question. So that data point told me that we needed a tool where every single child could be evaluated if a therapist thought it might be warranted. Um, That's basically the two questions that really influenced the way I approached the tool. And it kind of pushed my project forward very clearly of like what I needed to develop to meet a need. That sounds like such a well thought out scoping review. I've never considered a population level intervention in a school occupational therapy setting. That's such a novel idea but it makes so much sense to hear the way you explain it. And to start that, we need to collect data and show these types of screens and assessments are effective and should be reimbursed. So I think you're already off to a great start. Thank you. No, that's absolutely kind of what I was going for is like, I know that school-based occupational therapists or occupational therapists in general have a role whenever it comes to population inter- population level intervention. But part of that role is proving that we have a role and we can't prove that unless we have data to show politicians, people who allocate funds to certain things, that we have this problem that exists. And in order to prove that problem, we need effective tools. So that's kind of what led me to develop this. Hopefully, the FC bot can be that effective tool. Hopefully. Let's go ahead and dive into the nitty gritty of this tool. 
Can you take us through more of the design of the project and how you actually created and formatted the FC bot? Sure. So first I'll start by kind of defining functional cognition. And so that provides everybody a better idea of like what my goal is here and how I set things up. So functional cognition can be Um, defined as the ability to use and integrate thinking and performance skills to accomplish complex everyday tasks or activities. Um, And then after further research, I've been able to pin down six distinct domains of functional cognition. And those six domains are executive function, processing speed, attention, memory, emotional management, and social communication. So you can see that all these six things are cognitive processes and all of these six things are involved in producing a functional activity or a functional skill. Um, So what we're doing is we're really shifting the focus of cognition, which is historically looked at um, through neuropsychological evaluations of executive function and starting to look at it through a functional lens. So kind of like the nitty gritty of how I designed it is first, based on the answers from the survey, I knew I wanted it to be observational because so many school-based therapists were telling me that that's how they were gathering their data. They were watching behaviors and that was enough to let them know that something was going on. So yeah, so I knew I wanted it to be observational I knew I wanted it to be made up of different occupations and routines that elementary school children performed throughout the school day. Um, And this is because really we wanted it to be based in the normal school day. I wanted a therapist or later we'll talk about how I think really anybody can perform this checklist or this tool on any student. But I wanted them to be able to just walk into a classroom and observe these activities that they normally do throughout their day and be able to record data on that. And then thirdly, I knew I wanted it to include the six domains of functional cognition because that's the whole point. We don't have anything where all of these things can be observed at one point in time and to be able to walk away knowing which domains are most impacted and which domains are most impacting performance. And I also wanted that to be able to be done um, without asking the child to do certain activities in an environment that they normally don't do those activities in. So what we know about children is that everything is routine-based, right? It has to really happen inside the same environment at the same time. And that's how they learn to start doing these occupations that they grow up to be able to do in any environment under any circumstance. So we knew that we wanted it to be natural for the student. And we knew whenever we pull children out and say, do this, they might have performance anxiety, they might perform differently than they would in their everyday life. So I basically just started with those six domains of functional cognition, and I kind of drew from the EFPT the idea of having prompting questions under each domain. So basically, under, I would list those six domains, and then I would have at least five different prompting questions under each of the six domains to ensure that those domains were captured thoroughly. And the original FC bot was just a column of the prompting questions. 
in a column for observations. So I originally really stuck with that observation piece, and it was just kind of a formalized way of observing, which is what OTs were doing anyways. And then after a meeting with my mentor, my mentor, Dr. Lauren Milton, and my committee member, Dr. Carolyn Baum, we decided that we needed to add a checklist component into the tool in order to make it more quantifiable whenever I then go out and study this tool. And adding the checklist um, also allowed therapists to more quickly indicate whether they saw a behavior or they didn't. And then um, they, I w- it would make it easier for me to quantify that data whenever I was actually studying it. So then we added in a checklist where therapists could basically check yes, sometimes, or no, if they observed one of those prompting questions while a child was completing an activity. But I still left the space for observation so then they could go over and observe things that they were seeing. And then we have the daily school task, (laughs) which we'll ask about. (laughs) It sounds like you took a lot of steps and there was a whole process and controlling for error and making sure that what is observed in these tasks is representative of the student and is an indicator of functional cognition. I also think it's fascinating that executive function, which has historically been the one measure of cognitive performance in children, is only one-sixth of this tool. So it really seems extremely holistic and inclusive of all the factors that influence children. Yeah, no, that's exactly, I think think that's the thing that shocked me the most whenever I started learning about this topic is that we're really only looking at one component of this huge, I mean, we know there are a lot of cognitive processes involved in what goes to produce a functional outcome, but here we are only assessing one. And what really makes it more astonishing is that, like I said, they're normally assessed by neuropsychological assessments. So that means that one, those assessments are often not normed for children with disabilities, and they're often only normed for, unfortunately, white males. And two, a lot of times those pen and paper tests do not transfer to functional behavior and functional activity. Um, So really, we're taking an assessment tool on pen and paper and saying, this is how this child should functionally look without ever even functionally looking at them. Um, So that's a big problem. And whenever I started researching it, it's kind of like a deer in the headlights moment is like, well, then why have we been doing it this way for so long? And why hasn't somebody come up with something different? After hearing all this, I'm definitely glad you are doing it differently. Let's get into the actual observation. What are the five daily school tasks that are used in this assessment? Yeah, so the five daily school tasks that we ended up selecting to be on the tool are morning routine, mealtime routine, transitioning throughout the school day, maintaining personal care and hygiene throughout the school day, and maintaining classroom and school-based materials. So as you can tell, those are all kind of like broad in general, and that's for a reason because As you'll learn with a lot of my research is that we consult a lot of content experts on like the decisions that we make. And um, 
surprise, surprise, I sent out another survey to kind of help me determine what my five based occupations would be for this tool. So we kind of started with a brainstorming session with my mentor and we kind of listed all the possible occupations and routines that we could think of that elementary school children did throughout the day. And we had to make sure that these routines were not specifically academic based. So I didn't want to include a routine like completing an academic worksheet because that seemed outside of our scope. That would be more the scope of the teacher to address and to work with. Um, so we had to make sure they were inside of our scope of practice. And then once we had that list of the occupations that we had um, kind of thought of, we then developed a short survey that I sent out to some content experts that I crowd via Facebook. And um, I just gathered their expert opinion. And I really wanted to know three main questions. So I wanted to know if these routines were observable throughout the school day, because of a course, this is a, an, a, an observation tool. So if these routines were not observable, then it was no good to us. I also wanted to know if these routines were completed by all elementary school children. So depending if a, if a child is in a regular classroom, a special ed classroom, or in a therapeutic day school, their routines could look really, really different. They might not go to the lunchroom to eat lunch or things like that. Um, so I really wanted to make sure whenever a therapist sat down with this tool, they didn't have to look at the routine and be like, well, this kid doesn't complete that routine, so I can't use this tool anymore. And then that third question that I wanted to know is out of all these occupations that I had listed, I wanted them to select the top five that they wanted to see in a tool that they would really like to formally assess in the school system. So that led me and like people unanimously selected consistently the same top five occupations. So then those became my occupations, and I did not have one person report back that these were not observable occupations. And then with some general, with general language um, and general things for what I included in these occupations, that made that every single child also do these occupations. So it really satisfied all three of those questions that I was trying to answer. That's great and really shows how solid this design was. Um, you gave us some background on what the form looks like and what each occupation measured is. Can you break down how each of those occupations and routines is actually measured using your form? Yeah, so um, if whenever you look at the form, so basically each routine has its own observation form. So whenever I end up... Um, hopefully publishing this tool. It will come with five different observation forms, one for each routine or occupation. And at the top, you'll see a short paragraph about this routine. And it kind of gives therapists an idea of like what type of things that are included. So like for the morning routine, this could include things, but it's not limited to leaving parents, arriving in the classroom, taking off and putting away materials such as a coat or a book bag, things like that. So I kind of list um, different things that could be included in that occupation. So therapists are more likely to be ready to look for those behaviors and actions. 
So then once you get into it, I kind of have basically a a table where I have each of the six domains listed of functional cognition. And under each domain, I have those prompting questions. And each prompting question has its own space for the checklist component that we talked about. And each prompting question has a space for observations. My goal is whenever um, occupational therapists start to fill this out, you know, if a child really, really struggles with executive function, then they'll start to see that every single one of these prompting questions under executive function is being marked as yes. And that means they're having difficulty completing the things that are inside that domain of functional cognition. So then whenever the therapist completes this and steps away, they can say, you know, oh, this child really only has a deficit in social communication, say, and then that's throwing off the entire routine that they're trying to do. Or they can step back and say, actually, there are three main domains that they're really struggling in. And the hope is that whenever that happens, they can then design more tailored client-centered interventions because they know for sure what domain of cognition it is. They're not just thinking, oh, it's a cognitive deficit because that could literally be anything. That's awesome. And the way it's laid out makes sense. And it seems to me like any occupational therapy practitioner could look at this handout and immediately begin observing a student and complete this screen. Do you think this is something that eventually teachers or parents or others could use as well? Yeah, I absolutely do. And in my um, kind of doctoral um, component of my research that I'm going to do, I'm going to go to a school and actually do this. And one thing that I have on my kind of objectives to achieve is actually to provide a training to all educational staff that's interested. Because I do see teachers being able to use this while, while the children are just going about their day inside the classroom, they can pull this out and say like, yes, they do do that while they're doing these things, or even support staff can do this. And what you'll see is that each form, although the occupations or routines are different, the questions are largely the same. And that was purposeful because I wanted to, after a therapist or a teacher or a parent uses this a couple times, they then know what they should be looking for. And it becomes much a much quicker process. I didn't wanna, want people to have to sit in a classroom all day long trying to fill this out. I wanted it to be quick, to be simple, and it to be something that the child already does. Could you dive into more detail on what practitioners or whoever is giving this screen should specifically look for to indicate performance deficits in functional cognition? Yeah, so really what it comes down to are those prompting questions. So they should be looking to see if the, like, for example, I'll give an example of a prompting question. So in executive function, we have prompting questions of, is the child able to sequence events during morning routine? Are they able to initiate tasks independently? Do they require cues from peers or teachers or assistants to execute tasks? So while you're watching a child do this, if you're seeing that a child needs all of those things, they need help initiating, they need help executing, then that's when you, it kind of cues you into, okay, maybe 
their functional cognition, they're experiencing deficits in the executive function domain. So they're looking for outside sources to still complete their work, which is completely valid. And I've actually included in my screener phrases such as, um, do they require modifications outside of previously established modifications? So I think that's one thing people should know is that if children have modifications in place that allow them to be successful, we shouldn't be classifying them as, being, as having deficits in functional cognition because they found the modifications that they need to be successful. So things like that are included in my screener. So they should really be looking for those, those prompting questions to see if they're listed. And I think in general, if they are seeing a lot of yeses for those prompting questions, then we know they're experiencing deficits as well because they, they're quite literally having trouble completing that routine or occupation. And it's that trouble is not a result of other person factors, such as a motor problem or a sensory problem. Um, so yeah, this is kind of like another way to determine what might be going on whenever a breakdown in performance happens. I love that. These prompting questions sound important and easy to follow so people can pick this assessment up and begin to use it easily. Um, to give a couple more examples, I've got your morning routine observation form pulled up. And outside of executive function, there are questions on each domain for social communication. Is the child able to communicate needs to teachers assistant? Uh, for emotional management, is the child able to self-regulate when they become upset? I just want to emphasize how awesome this is and that it includes so much outside of executive function. Yeah, I think that's so important. And actually, the social communication piece is really interesting to me because what we see in older adults is that if they have high social communication, they can really cover their cognitive deficits really well. So I think social communication along with all of these are so important to, to include because really whenever you break out, out all of these different components, then you can start to see, okay, they have deficits for sure in emotional management, but they can really socially cover and that's what's helping them get by. And that's a good thing, right? It's great whenever we have really high levels or really high scores in one area that can kind of help another area out. And we know that's how the brain works, right? Whenever one area fails, another area can come in and help. Um, but I still think it's important to be able to pinpoint where something is going wrong so that we can provide better effective treatment for that. Absolutely. This looks like a great way to identify those areas that are impacting participation and performance the most. Yeah, because really what ends up happening, and I think kind of the driving force behind this, anecdotally, we know whenever children are not doing well in school and they do that neuropsychological assessment of executive function, they test fine on it because they're good test takers but they're still experiencing those deficits, then they get labeled as problem children. So we literally have children being sent to the principal's office and receiving disciplinary action for things that if we had a tool like this, we could better pinpoint what might actually be going on and then be able to provide them 
the treatment that they need to help them um, be successful than sending them to a principal's office. We also know that elementary school is really a critical period for cognitive development. That's when a lot of these skills are starting to be developed and honed in on. So if we can identify those deficits early and we can treat them early, then we can be talking about a lifelong benefit of having these cognitive skills to be successful when if they were continued to be ignored or continued to be sent to the principal's office, then they could be looking at a lifelong journey along that way. So That's a great point. And I want to ask you as well, how do you envision using the FC bot will enhance occupational therapy practice? Yeah, so I truly believe that by using this tool, school-based occupational therapists for the first time will have a tool that will allow them to observe typical school behaviors and school routines without interrupting the school day. It also provides them an opportunity to observe cognitive deficits in the context of everyday life. And it will allow them to evaluate any child, regardless of ability, for cognitive deficits. And then I also think this tool will better equip school-based OTs to objectively document those cognitive deficits, while also allowing them to document them and tell how they are impacting a child's academic participation and performance. Because that's the ultimate goal, right? What does it matter if a child has decreased executive function? If they can do all their tasks perfectly fine, like deficits and disorder and dysfunction comes into play whenever then those things are impacting a way a person is able to perform their everyday life and the things that they need and want to do. Um, So that's why I think this is going to be so helpful, because then we can finally put a name to a thing that children may be struggling with. And up until this point, we've not had a way to do that. Very well said. Now let's go ahead and shift to some more personal um, and opinion questions about your project and what you've been able to accomplish. To start out, what have you enjoyed most about this journey? Honestly, I think it's just been working on something so new and exciting. Every time I talk about it, you have to lay out the full project for people to come along the journey with you. Um, because it's not intuitive, because it is so new. But I literally get to watch people's faces light up whenever I talk about the possibility of somebody being able to use this. And people know how important it is, and they've been wanting something like this for forever. And another piece of that is, I think, just being a student and being able to stay true to the roots of occupational therapy by creating a tool that is truly functional and based in everyday life. How many times do we learn about assessments or screeners in class that occupational therapists did not develop? And while it provides us good data, we have these little ways of spinning it or looking for other things to really make it meaningful to our profession. So I've really enjoyed creating something that I think is truly occupation-based and can truly benefit our profession. That is a really special thing. Um, As we've both come to know over our education, research isn't all sunshine and rainbows. So what has been difficult about this undertaking? Unfortunately, it's the same thing that makes it exciting. 
working on something so new is hard. Um, when you talk about executive function or things like it, people automatically are behind you. They know the research exists out there to, to show them why they should be excited about it and why they should think it's important. And here I am trying to tell people that it's not only about executive function, we should be looking at the bigger functional picture. And it's also hard not to see your topic popping up in journals. I know my classmates get so excited when they see like their research topic in a journal and then they can then go use that information. But I haven't had that. So I've, there's been many times when I sit at my desk and I'm like, is this even important? Do people need this? Do people care about this? Because I'm not seeing it represented in the literature. And then I have to go back to my surveys and say, yes, 82% of people said they needed this. And yes, people have told me that they would use this as soon as it comes out. So that's what I have to pull from. How will this research influence your future practice and career decisions? Yeah, so I think this tool has made me a lifelong academic. I believe in this tool and the work that I'm doing, and I know that this is not just a doctoral project that will end whenever I'm done with school. I've kind of created a lifelong career project for myself, like I'm going to be entering the pilot study phase, and I'm going to have to establish reliability and validity for this tool, and a lot of manuscripts will have to be wrote. So yeah, I think it's influenced me that way. And then I think this project also means that I have to get my PhD. So <laughs> more schooling. <laughs> there you go. Hannah Brooks, OTD, PhD. <laughs> what do you hope that current practitioners take away from your findings? I just want people to take away that this is just a formalized way to do what therapists are already doing. And that it's not bad to say that there's a different, better way to measure something. And people really, really cling to executive function, like I said, just because there's a mountain of evidence to support it. Um, and I think just being open to the possibility that there are more cognitive processes involved in the execution of a task um, that really warrant a tool that, that is designed to measure those processes. And then just being open to the possibility that we as OTs can truly add something in a field that is largely dominated by neuroscientists, psychologists, and MDs, because um, that's what the field is run by, unfortunately, the field of cognition. And um, I do think we have a valuable piece of evidence and information to add into that field by focusing on what we know, which is function and participation. Absolutely. Hopefully everyone else can be just as passionate as you are um, about this topic. I have one question left, the golden nugget segment. But before that, I wanted to ask you if there's anyone you would like to thank or acknowledge in this research. Yeah, so um, first and foremost, I would not be here without my mentor, Dr. Lauren Milton. She has been a person that I can go to with my crazy wild ideas. And she says, yes, go do it. Don't worry about anything else. So I think she's really allowed me to venture out into uncharted territory just by supporting me and saying that I can. Um, the next person that I would definitely owe 
gratitude to is Dr. Carolyn Baum. Um, she has been with me step by step throughout this process because she developed the EFPT. And that's what really I kind of modeled this tool after. Um, she's been there to take meetings whenever I didn't know what to do next because I've never done this before. And she has. So she's really helped answer a lot of those questions. And she's been there to tell me that this work is important. And she's given me the push to go ahead and continue on. Early on, the early work, so that scoping review and that survey sent out to school-based therapists, I had a partner, Katie Holt. She was a master's student, so she's graduated and has. She's a licensed therapist. She's the real deal. Um, So she really helped in that early work, getting those initial things out there and getting that evidence in. And then from there, I've taken it and made it into the tool that it is today. And then, of course, um, my spouse who puts up with all of my ranting and my frantic notes and telling me that I can do it and that it's important for me to see things through and make sure that I'm staying true to myself and what I believe in whenever people tell me that it's not that important. You definitely have an all-star team and it made for an all-star project. Um, to finish it up, what is one thing you learned from this process that you wish everyone knew? I just wish everyone knew how awesome occupational therapists are. I wish everybody knew, including occupational therapists, how truly unique the way we view disruption in everyday life is and how we view um, disability and deficits. Because of our unique understanding we should be encouraged to use tools that are based in everyday life and based in performance because that's what ends up mattering to people. At the end of the day, people don't care about these trivial things that a lot of times people in the healthcare profession promote. People care if they're able to go home and feed their dog and take care of their children and keep a house. And I think that's truly something that's so unique to us and something that no one else considers in the healthcare field. And I just want people to know that occupational therapists are awesome and um, we truly can add to the quality of someone's life. I couldn't agree more. Uh, Thank you again for your time, Hannah, and for this interview. It was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. After concluding our interview... Um, I realized that I forgot to ask Hannah about how someone could contact her if they were interested in learning more about this or wanted to partner with her. So we recorded this after the interview, so it doesn't sound quite as good, but it's still very important to include. So sorry for the sound quality, but here's the wrap up. I wanted to ask you if people want to look at this assessment or if they want to contact you, if they have questions, they want to use it in their own practice, uh, what should they do? Yeah, so I'm definitely opening open to people reaching out to me and asking me questions. Right now, we're fixing to enter the pilot stage of this tool. So like I said, I'm going to be going out to a school and actually piloting this tool. Ultimately, what I'll really need is people to partner with me to do this tool in their own schools, um, just to have data to gather and collect on this project. Um, We're not there yet, but we soon will be. So if anyone wants to reach out to me, ask me questions um, about the tool or possibly be interested in partnering with me later on, um, you can reach out to me at my email address, which is hb 
B R O O K S at W U S T L dot E D U. Thanks for listening to How to OT. Tune in next time for another episode where we bring accessible and consumable research straight to you. I'm on vacation. If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it. I'm on vacation every single day because I love my occupation. I'm on vacation every single day, every, every single day. I'm on vacation every single day because I love my occupation. I'm on vacation every single day, every, every single day. Everybody's sour like a lemon tree. I'm just smiling down upon my enemies. Do the shit and love it on a day of leave. Say you hate your job, but you'll never leave. Never leave, but then it wasn't easy. But right now I'm living breezy. Build this engine from the ground up. Now my hands ain't so greasy. Feel me? Hey, I'm on vacation. So thankful for everything Rejuvenating my inner light as I work hard for all I need Open arms, embracing life and all the which you gave to me I work, it pays off, I'm happy now, it's paying me Close my eyes, sometimes I feel as if I blow away I love the life, I live and enjoy the ride along the way I'll make a living out of living, yeah, that's what I say I got one life to live and I wouldn't live in no other way Hey, hey, hey I'm on vacation single day cause I love my occupation hey, hey, hey. I'm on vacation every single day every every single day hey, I'm on vacation every single day cause I love my occupation hey, hey, hey. I'm on vacation if you don't like your life then you should go and change it if you don't like your life then you should go and change it if you don't like your life then you should go and change it. If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it.